0: N-P-R.
1: This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong.
2: And I'm Darian Woods. And this week, Weyland, you and I, and probably every big internet company, are closely watching the Supreme Court.
1: That's right. There's two cases being argued before the court. One involving Google, the other involving Twitter, and they could transform the way they and social media operate. So you know, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Because at the heart of these cases is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, and there's a key part that's just 26 words. Darian, and I will let you do the honors.
2: Okay, I'll bring it up. Um, No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, end quote.
1: I think 1996 is calling on a landline and they want their interactive computer (laughs) service back.
2: (laughs) I can hear a screeching modem right now talking about interactive computer services. (laughs) But, you know, those 26 words essentially shield internet companies from being sued for what people say or do on their platforms, whether it's a Facebook post or a Yelp review or comments on a YouTube video. And it's this immunity, the companies argue, that allowed the internet to grow into what it is today.
1: But others say these 26 words also enabled the most toxic parts of the internet. The bullying, the harassment, the spread of disinformation and extremist content. These two cases now before the Supreme Court are seeking to eliminate some or all of that legal protection.
2: So today on the show, we are replaying an Indicator episode that dives into the origins of Section 230. It's the story of one man's legal fight and how it turned those 26 words into a shield big tech companies hide behind to this day.
1: After the break, NPR's Shannon Bond and Bobby Allen take it away. Support
3: for NPR and the following message come from Fisher Investments. SVP Judy Abrams shares how their fiduciary duty comes to life while helping clients plan for retirement.
2: As a fiduciary, we must make decisions in our clients' best interest. So we work with them in consultation to be on a glide path so when they want the option to retire, that portfolio is still going to keep working for them at this stage
1: of life.
3: Learn more at FisherInvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. In April 1995, Ken Zarin's phone started ringing.
4: And ringing some more, it just wouldn't stop.
5: Lots of calls. It wasn't like every second, but it was just lots of calls. Ken
4: had no idea what was going on. He ran a real estate magazine in Seattle, but these calls had nothing to do with that. These callers were angry. This was the era of landline phones... So he'd answer. And it would just be people screaming and cursing. Often they'd hang
0: up before he could even figure out why they were so mad. He'd eventually learn that it had to do with a post online on the internet service AOL, or America Online. And AOL at that time was filled with lots of message boards. And someone else had posted this message under the screen name zz 3 with Ken's real phone number. This early internet troll was purporting to sell Great Oklahoma t-shirts. And this was just days after a domestic terrorist bombing in Oklahoma City killed more than 160 people. These shirts, they were just awful. They had slogans making light of the bombing and saying tasteless things about the victims. And the ads infuriated people.
5: How could you do this? What a loser you are. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing all of it now. You could use your own uh, sense and, uh, and think of what they might be saying given what had just happened in Oklahoma City. In the post, one
4: troll wrote, quote, ask for Ken due to high demand. Please call back if busy. But not only did Ken know nothing about this ad, he didn't even use AOL.
5: So he called AOL. And basically, I told him, you know, my phone's ringing off the hook and I can't get anything done. And it's uh, all these people uh, upset about uh, something that they saw on AOL.
0: AOL took the post down, but another popped up, then another and another a familiar cat and mouse game.
4: He tried AOL's legal department, the FBI, the Secret Service. He called everyone he could to get these ads taken down. But his phone kept ringing and ringing, dozens of calls a day. Ken started to get freaked out.
5: They didn't want the things to go any further and have some, you know, nitwit show up with a shotgun. The problem was AOL would not post something on their server, telling their audience that this is a bunch of baloney, a hoax, or whatever. And so the calls kept coming.
4: Okay, so Ken thought AOL had a big part to play in this. He said they didn't take the post seriously, even though he told them again and again that this post was causing him so much grief. And then it became, the whole focus of it became, well, AOL, what are you going to do about it? So he sued AOL. And he didn't know it at the time, but this lawsuit would eventually form the legal foundation for the Internet
0: we know and don't exactly love today. Because Ken lost. As the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals saw it, being able to sue AOL for what someone posted could be disastrous for the Internet. And the court, it had to make a tough decision. Does it protect Ken and let him go after damages from AOL? And then maybe AOL just shuts down whole message boards because they're too risky. Or does the court protect the Internet as an idea and let these new up-and-coming companies grow without worrying about getting sued over every single thing someone posts?
4: It can be hard to show just how significant a moment this was. So we called up Jeff Kosoff. He wrote the book literally on Section 230. And he says the way the court interpreted the law, it was a big change from how courts treated newspapers and TV and radio. The Internet became an exception.
2: That's what's really remarkable was that they took this really exceptionalist view by saying, you know, Congress wanted to treat the Internet differently. Than other media.
0: So, what he's saying here is if someone had run these same ads about these t shirts in the classified section of a newspaper, Ken could have sued the newspaper. He might not have won that lawsuit, but he could have had his day in court. But what this ruling in Ken's case means is he doesn't even get to argue the merits of his case. He simply cannot sue AOL over these posts, period. To this day, the Zarin case is the law of the land. It's been cited
4: in opinions 350 times, which every legal expert we talked to said, technically speaking, is a whole lot of citations for a case.
5: What the Zarin case did was it
2: provided the flexibility to these online services to develop their business models around user content and develop their own policies and practices for moderation
0: Which is to say, tech companies can set their own rules about what you can and can't post. But if someone posts something about you on Facebook that you think is abusive or harmful or defamatory, you can't take Facebook to court. Kassif and many other scholars of the internet say this decision allowed social media companies and other online sites to grow and grow without worry about the risk of getting sued for what people post.
4: Yeah, and it also means that if companies like Facebook or YouTube want to get better at patrolling the dangerous stuff on their websites, that's completely up to them. There's no government penalty for being too slow or doing nothing at all.
0: Take the Capitol insurrection on January 6th. It was planned and documented on social media. But who's not getting charged? The social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Parler, because of how Ken's case interpreted Section 230. So to change the way the Internet works, that means changing the underlying law the case is based on, those 26 words. And now
4: in Washington, there's a big push to rewrite Section 230 to say, for example, the Internet platforms need to do more to earn this legal shield, like by showing that they have proactive systems in place to remove illegal posts.
0: There are a lot of proposals in Congress, and it's not clear what will win out. But change does feel inevitable, because getting tough on big tech is one of the few areas these days where there's real bipartisan energy.
4: And Ken, who, by the way, never found who was behind the trolling, he says he's happy that a fix might be on the way, even though for him, it's 26 years too late.
5: There's no putting the genie back in of what we have now. But this is what we have, and it's not working well.
0: Today's episode of The Indicator was produced by Emma Peasley and Dave Blanchard. It was fact-checked by Sam Tsai and edited by Alex Goldmark. And if you have suggestions for the show or ideas of what you want The Indicator to cover, email us at indicator at npr.org. The Indicator is a production of NPR.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month.